Oh, I see. Oh, this is going to be easy. Hello, welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast. Um, my name is Roger Heathers, and with me is my co-host Declan Kitchener. Hello, Declan. Hello. I'm still so far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still recording in isolation. Uh, I need to be recording in isolation for a bit longer if everything <laughs> that's in the news keeps flowing through. Oh no! It looks like it almost looks like that. This is the new format of the show if if uh, things continue the way they're going. I mean, it says on petrol, but <laughs> I miss the interactions. Same. It's um, it's that thing of not being able to see the other person's facial expressions and body language and all that kind of thing, isn't it? I'm just imagining you as you talk like a cartoon character with like these really like overdone expressions and over the top and just like bouncing around the room <laughs> and just um, which in all likelihood you're not actually, but it makes an entertaining podcast on my end. I, I like that. I think I'll do the same. Um, imagine you as sort of a Roger Rabbit type of character. <laughs> a tune? No. A tune. Uh, so um, what we're doing on this show um, is we're going to talk about uh, structuring a song, arranging a song, and taking it from the demo stage to the fully produced stage. Um, and this was kind of your brainchild, uh, so I don't know if you want to expound a little bit more on that. Yeah, I just realise that we talk a lot about getting songs to like the level where you've got chords, maybe a bit of uh, melody, uh, you know, lyrics and a tune and everything. But we don't really take it further. Often the question we ask at the end of segments is like, how would you progress this further? But we've never actually shown how we do progress these things further. Mm. So I just thought it might be an interesting conversation. Also a free bit of self-promotion. <laughs> That's because true. everything must fall to capitalism in the end. It's a it's a double edged sword. So yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. It is something that kind of has been on my mind um, recently as well. You've been doing a lot of recording recently. Yeah, well, you know, um, both you and I have been making um, our own albums recently. So obviously, you know, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, ever since I was like younger, you know, this stuff has been on my, on my mind, like how to make a an album sound just like somebody's who you admire. So, um, so yeah, should be good. Should be good. Should be good. Uh, the songs that we're going to be discussing, we're going to have like two sort of case studies uh, in this one to get a bit technical and proper for a second. Uh, I'm going to be talking about my song Lithograph, which was originally on episode 69 of the podcast, and the full produced version is available on the Captive Audience EP, which you can find on Bandcamp and other places. My song that I'm going to be talking about is called Lost and Out of Love, which is from episode... I'll input that, by the way. Oh, it's episode 84. Oh, you are on the ball! Okay, um, so my song is called uh, Lost and Out of Love, and uh, it was original in episode 84, um, and is going to appear... It's not actually out yet. It's going to appear on an album I'm making called Swear Jar. So you're getting a little sneak preview of the future. Ah, see? That's, you know... worth the ticket price of getting into this podcast wait a minute we have a ticket price now <laughs> i didn't want to tell you like this but yes <laughs> i've been absolutely swimming in it <laughs> and when can i see a cut of this money coming my way oh it's in the post don't you worry is it in the post of all the big bucks that you've been paying me <laughs> yes <laughs> so lithograph yes do you <laughs> it's a song <laughs> it exists do you feel that lithograph has has changed considerably from demo to full production 
It's not so much changed as a song. It's more the textures of it and the emphasis of it have changed. There have been bits of the song that have changed. I think I actually changed uh, the lyrics in the final verse. Sadly, I can't remember what they were originally or what they were uh, when I modified them, but I know they're different. <laughs> How about, like, structurally in terms of, like, verse, chorus, for, like, that sort of stuff? Has that all remained the same since the the version we heard on uh, the episode on the show? Uh, that pretty much has stayed the same. The, I think the thing with getting these things to the podcast if you, is you've got to get them to a point where, like, structurally they're more or less there. You can add like a solo section in or take that out or like tweak little bits but um i was kind of broadly happy with how it went along i think the only major bit i changed was that you went initially to the fifth on the big builder at the beginning but i found that was a bit clunky so mm. i just took that bit out Yeah, I think that's the only major structural change. Because the solo bit, oddly enough, for an acoustic demo, was already in there. Yeah, I think, um, I think like you say, that's the thing, is what bringing demos to the podcast to talk about on the show, they are kind of full arrangements. No, not arrangements, but full structure demos. Um, and if anything, like you said, we're taking that fifth out, it's more likely that we'll be taking stuff away rather than adding stuff in, like a whole new verse or a whole new you know, type of chorus. I think that's all established in the acoustic stage. Would you say that's true for you, generally? I'd, I'd say that's broadly true, yeah. I mean, there are cases where you sort of just add in solo sections and you add in other bits, because if you're not that happy of a song, this is the perfect time to try and uh, rework it in the early demo stage. But, yeah, broadly speaking, by this point, the way the song flows is more or less set in stone, so... Yeah, I've got to say I can relate to that because there's so many times in the past where I would come up with, let's say, a verse I really liked. This is pre-podcast. And then, you know, I go, oh, I like the verse melody. The chords seem to be good. I'm like, I want to make this into a song. And then I would sit down with that verse and I would try and make that into this thing with drums and bass and guitar and all the f bells and whistles. And I'd quickly realize, oh, right, I need to I need to have a chorus first or else the, the process kind of grinds to a halt uh so i think yeah i think the thing we've started to do which i think we've encouraged each other to do you know even non-verbally is just come up with a whole song on, on an acoustic instrument or or something like that and then develop it up you know the thing with trying to develop it before you have a full song it strikes me as like trying to decorate a house before you've like finished building it that's a great that's a great metaphor yeah like, you don't know if you're going to be building a small bungalow. You don't know if you're going to be building, like, another layer or so. You don't know if you're going to expand backwards if you suddenly realise you need a garage or something. This is a weird metaphor. But, like, <laughs> you can't really deal with the inside unless you've de dealt with the main structure. Yes, totally agree. Totally agree. And I think you get to a stage, um, and I know this goes for lithograph and for your writing gener generally, but you kind of get to a stage when you've been writing for a certain period of time where you don't just come up with like chords and a melody and, you know, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, whatever it is. But you actually come up with like where you want to put the accents, which is like where the um, pronounced beats um, hit in the song. So, for example, if the chorus kicks in and on the very first beat, it goes bam and then the whole thing kicks in. You can actually incorporate that stuff at the demo stage, even if you're not currently working with a drummer. I mean, what help? what helps is if you have experience being in bands and... Uh, having been in bands that are good at working dynamics, I've been lucky to have been in a couple, and I know you have been as well. So, like, you sort of then begin to learn to apply that on a macro level to your own songwriting. Totally agree. And I think that, you know, lithograph, for example, um, even the part where you go, dent, 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 in the verse. Um, obviously, when you hear the full final EP version, the fully produced version, the drums are actually accenting that. But even in your acoustic demo, you're still kind of playing that rhythm. It's not like you're just kind of, you strum a single E minor chord or, wh or whatever it would be and just sing over it. You are actually kind of incorporating that um, dynamic and rhythm there. So, 
Well, uh, we'll get back to that because that ended up being an interesting one to try and sort out. But um, oh, okay. what, but uh, once you've sort of got your main song, I think the first thing that we've tended to do, and I've nabbed this from you a little bit, is that you tend to try and make a sort of demo, a fully-fledged sketch of what's going to happen, which is basically the most important stage of working out uh, electric dynamics, shall we say. With Lost and Out of Love, it's an acoustic song originally because obviously it's on the podcast, we have to do it like that. Yes. I'm just wondering, like, how much of, like, the piano feel that you would later bring in, like, does that all come in at that stage or was that something that you suddenly realised, oh, wait a minute, I can do this later? So does that come in at the demo stage? Well, I'm sure we'll put in a clip at some point here, but um, this song is actually rather unusual and maybe not the most um, uh, typical example of what I would normally do uh, with a song. But okay, so I started off by working on the piano to, to write the song in the first place to get like the very first sketches. Um, oh, so and- it started off on piano before you transferred it to acoustic? That's right, yeah. So um, I only played oh. it on acoustic um, for the Weekly Song Podcast, you see. Oh, I see. So yeah, I mean this is this is one of my because I don't have a piano like readily available where I'm living right right now. So, but at this time, for some reason or another, I did, um, and I just kind of sat down and I I kind of found the chords, the you know Lord if you if you answer prayers like mine part. It's like okay, I kind of like this, but at that time it was just like it was how you hear it in the very first verse of the final product, which I'm sure we'll hear a clip of at some point too, where it's just like one chord, another chord another chord, another chord. And then this was a song where I really wanted to work with like other people to arrange it, but that's kind of like stage three. So, um, <laughs> this is quite... This is a difficult thing about talking about this because you often, when you get used to this process, you get ideas of like, how are you going to do this? Like the next stage and the next stage and that influences your decisions in the first stage, but you have to yes. try and keep all this shit in order. I totally agree. So but to, you know, make a long story short, at the very first stage, I had this just very laid back, just one chord, uh, sort of one uh, strum per chord, let's say, even though it's piano um, in the verses and in the choruses. And then by the time I started to make uh, let's call it a structured demo. That's kind of what I call it in my head anyway. put down some piano and then I added some drums and I noticed that because the, the song is in 6-8, um, am I correct in saying that? I'd say dun, so. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's 6-8. So, because it's in 6-8, it can have that nice sort of like um, doo-wop type of feel on the drums like that sort of thing or just, you know, eighth notes on the hi-hat. So at that stage, I was like, wait a second. Somebody who's like really good at piano might be good to play on this song. So I got in contact with um, a sort of uh, music friend of mine uh, called Billy Sapphire. He goes by the name of. Um, and he he played this kind of like eighth note type of piano thing that you'd hear in a doo-wop song. Um, But yeah, as I was going to say, it's it getting quite ragtime when I heard uh, the final version. Well, that was a really weird one because I actually came up with my own little intro for the song on acoustic guitar, funnily enough. This is what, this is what I was going to ask. Like, was that like uh, 
something you said, okay, no, you've got to copy this and uh, this thing that I've done on guitar, which then sounds quite antiquated and quite cool on the piano, or was that just something that it just happened to be the same? But uh... Well, this is the thing that's really been interesting me this year, is that I've always had this thing of like, oh, I need to work by myself and play all the tracks myself because Prince did. But what I'm realising this year is like, Every musician has a slightly different vocabulary and way of articulating chords. So, like, I sent him the demo of um, the intro I came up with. And then he sent me back this, like, his interpretation of what that sounded like on piano rather than guitar. And it turned out to be this very much, like, like you said, like a ragtime, antiquated feel. And I was like, eh, it's well better than my intro, so let's keep it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is kind of the stage where, uh, to get back to the um, demo stage, this is kind of like where you're beginning to plan out how your big uh, building blocks of the song will exist in the uh, stereo space, essentially. This is kind of where, like, um, you begin to, to use a maths uh, analogy. This is where you're, you've got two brackets and you're expanding them out to get the final equation yeah one way i was doing that on lithograph this is something i had in mind from the moment i was writing it but the original uh, acoustic demo has a sort of funky part and a melody part played on the same instrument And I always knew that what the first thing was going to be was to separate those out. Because I think I was saying, like, I was inspired a bit by Foles and tracks like The Runner at that point. Mm -hmm. And, like, I knew that it was meant to be two guitars, but obviously because... This is back in the days before the nightmare, before COVID, where we could actually meet up face to face and do this. I had to do it live on one guitar. Mm -hmm. So the first, the first thing was like expand that right back out again. Was that? Do you do you feel like that idea comes from? let's make this one guitar part into two for ease of playing or for because it's sonically pleasing or something? What do you feel like? A little of column A and a little of column B. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, because these were going to be done uh, with distorted guitars, uh, distorted guitars really don't like complex chords for the most of the time. Like, if you put a third in, like it's going to sound uh, weird and nasty and you can get some good sounds out of using uh, complicated thirds but um in this case it would just muddy the waters a bit and particularly if you're trying to do two distinct lines at once i think i've heard brian may say that the electric guitar isn't a polyphonic instrument it's a monophonic instrument mm. which is why he likes layering things up and in this case it means you can just hear both of the parts as clear as you can it also makes it a lot easier to play. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but then that also led on to a problem throughout like the rest of the song, because now you've got two rhythm guitars that are taking up all the space all the time, whereas normally I'd be quite happy with one. And now you've got to work out what both of those guitars are doing at any given point in the song, because it's clear in the verse, because they're designed to be separated out. Mm. But when you get to the chorus, it's just like, oh, what is it going to do now? Which is why you have the addition of on the final master of the doom 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 doom. Because I needed one of the guitars to do something different, and there was a space. That makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, as well. There's a certain thing you get to when you're structuring or arranging a song, which is like I've started to think about this only this year which is the idea of rhythm guitar and lead guitar. Because in, in an arrangement, 
because that those two work together so well. But I think when you first start multi-track recording at home or you, or you start playing around with arrangements, you go, but I have so many ideas. I've got like, you know, I can think of six guitar parts. Why can't I have all of them? You know, without any definition of this one's the rhythm and this one's the lead. But I think that's something I admire about the way, because I just listened to um, Captive Audience, your EP again, in preparation for this episode. And something you do really well is you actually separate out your parts so that everything is like, oh, that's over there and that's over there. And they work together and they don't tread on each other's toes. And I think that's such a cool thing in an arrangement. It's just splitting up bits of chords and splitting up bits of melody. Like, for example, on the next song, I think 4CR, you've got this bit where you've got like... Uh, like sort of sound on one of them mm. and like the is always um, a center guitar but the badders are two extra recordings that alternate between left and right just because it would be clunky to try and do them on one guitar because you get like the chords not ringing as cleanly but it's also just more fun to have them bouncing back and forth in the stereo <laughs> totally totally I think that's that's another thing as well. It's like when we talk about arranging um, in the year 2020, we're quite often, let's be honest, we're quite often talking about recording to either tape or um, or a digital audio workstation like Logic or Pro Tools or something like that. Mm. Um, so I think um, it's really interesting, actually. We're living in a, in a time where arranging means as well as, oh, where should things go in terms of tonality or volume, we're actually talking about where things go in the stereo field as well, or in terms of where they go in terms of uh, depth of reverb and that sort of thing. Because this is the thing, you can't like work too much on the demo, otherwise you're sort of wasting all your energy on something that is only really a guide for the drummer. Like You do need to kind of work out where things sit, what level things are going to be at, just so that you know it's going to sound okay. Definitely, definitely. And like you said, I love what you said earlier about like it being like a sketch of what you of what you picture the structure of the song being like so to kind of like give a practical example of that what i did with lost and out of love when i was like okay i like this song enough that i want to um you know send it to a drummer and get some drum recordings done for this is i sat down with the acoustic guitar and just like found the tempo in my in logic my digital audio software and then found the tempo, found the click track, and then I recorded just a really rough, hashed-out version of me bashing out the song on the guitar, right? With some dynamics, of course, you know, but, like, not trying to get a good take of me singing or anything. I'm beginning to think I'm drifting out of range. But making sure that I had the structure right, so the intro was the right amount of bars long, the chorus um, had the correct chords in it, and so on and so forth. And then... Once I had that, I actually got my own digital drum samples up and I kind of played them on the keyboard, like a MIDI keyboard, to kind of, not perfectly, not putting in perfect fills or anything, but basically just like when the chorus kicks in, it crashes with the with the crash cymbal um, and then quickly returns to a sort of like uh, eighth note on the ride cymbal or what have you. And then also... You, you say not perfect drums, I'm going to have to sort of share one of the apathy demos at some point because you are literally doing like insane drumming and keyboard drumming on a lot of those. <laughs> All right, I'll admit it. I am the Victor Wooten of keyboard drumming. <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> But um, and just, you know, where the kicks and the snares go is essentially the big thing for me and where there's silence. I think silence is another big one of like what to to make note of. And basically you're just kind of like giving because the drummer is a better drummer than you are. You know, like if you're just uh, like me, if you're a guitarist, a singer, that sort of thing and a piano player. Um, so you're just kind of going, this is generally where the drums come in so that they don't play some huge, you know, glumphing fill in the first verse when you're just setting up the song. So then you send it over to the drummer and then you get your drums back. So I think that's kind of, for me personally, for Lost and Out of Love, that's stage one, or I guess stage two really, because stage one is writing the song by itself without anything recording, or apart from like an iPhone or something like that, which I'll probably include at some point too. Okie dokie. Right, what's this called? Do you know? Oh, it's called uh, Lost and Out of Love. What if you answer would you care to take the time to remind me that I'm lost and out of love? I'll wait for the words to come through. Um, and then the second stage is the one I just described with putting down some digital drums and that. But it's kind of interesting that you put down 
I don't know what you did for Lost and Out of Love, but it's interesting that you put down more like fully produced drums, like with more like cymbals and like more of a rhythm and everything. Like whereas where I, when I did um, Lithograph, I, what I did for most of um, Captive Audience uh, actually was uh, I literally just put in bass snare. That's all I put in just because I knew that I had uh, an amazing drummer and I like to be surprised. Yes, yes. Like which is which can backfire on you if you pick the wrong the wrong emphasis and the wrong drummer, but uh, fortunately the drummer I had on this project Bo Payne who is absolutely amazing uh, went above and beyond any time every time. I don't know. I just kind of what I like about um not planning out the drums that much is that the drummer will do things quite naturally to them mm. that you can then bring into your final version of the song. If it's completely wrong, you can obviously ask, excuse me, sorry, could you just do that bit again? Mm. But like, I kind of like working with the idea that it's a performance in a room by a band, so this is a performance that you would have captured, so you can't change it. I like that, me too. Like, for example, on the final master, there's a pause after... On the final recording, which was just when Bo just did a break in the music, like... And just continued on going. I just thought, like, yep, that's perfect. I'm, I'm making it... A, I'm making something massive out of that. Totally agree. I, I'm, you know, not on Lost and Out of Love. I worked with Robbie Slater of 1881 on Lost and Out of Love, but I've been working with Bo as well on, on Swear Jar, the album I'm making. And Bo is so good for those surprises, isn't he? Like, just oh, a little... CR was amazing, just like the amount of stuff he sent back to me. But uh... but it's. I, I think there's an argument to be made, um, what you were just saying about... Um, because for the captive audience EP, which Lithograph is on, you just sent kick and snare to people, uh, to to Bo, sorry, um, to to record drums to, um, and like you say, with Lost and Out of Love, that for the you know drum demo I made for that, I did include more sort of like symbols and that sort of thing, and I'm trying to think why, and I think it kind of comes down to, I like to be. <laughs> how do I put this like I like to be quite into it at every stage of the process so even though I'm not playing drums on the track I quite like to just really get in there and like <laughs> you know Victor wound some keyboard drums up um so that you know and also it kind of provides um as well as the accents it provides Bo with some idea of the general type of energy I'm trying to go for or the general feel or dynamic um mm. but but yeah I can I, I think next time I actually might try what you did and do the kick and snare demo because then you say like you say you get to be surprised and i think a big part of making exciting music just for your own sake like to enjoy making music is like to be surprised by people because like you know you played bass on on this track that we're talking about today lost and out of love And I didn't know what you would come up with bass-wise. I mean, we had a little conversation, didn't we? Of like, you were like, okay, so what kind of thing, what kind of tone do you want? What kind of like approach do you want? And I think all I really said was something fairly pared back, and then musically like sticking to the root notes mostly. But I can't remember exactly what I said. But you did a great job. Essentially, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, which is one of my favorite things at the moment. But I suppose one thing I will say about like having a fuller drum sound on there, as well as dictating the feel, is it helps to dictate the more complicated passages. Like you were saying earlier with um, bom, 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 on um, uh, lithograph. Mm. Uh, that came about just because that was a fun thing to play on guitar. That's why that bit's in there, because I thought, oh, it'll make me look clever. You know, <laughs> and it's a fun rundown. It's not like a straight do 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 do. The trouble is, it's fine to do that and slightly mess it up if it's just you. The minute you have someone else playing, and you've got to get it perfect because this is a proper recording, you now have to work out exactly. Because I was dragging my drum and snare onto like a midi grid below the track, 
mm. uh, because I can't MIDI into my keyboard, uh, into my computer, and uh, you know I was having to do this all manually, trying to work out exactly on what part of the beat each one goes into. <laughs> oh man, I've been there. I know that is uh, painful, isn't it? <laughs> which, like, I ended up with like the closest approximation. You ended up with both, like, actually, sort of like compensating for that a little bit so that is back to the original thing hmm. but like you you really have to think twice if you're picking like complicated bits in there like like how am i going to demonstrate this to another musician who has to play the same thing yeah totally totally um it's, it's a weird process isn't it and i think that's almost the most um a surprising stage of the process um, for, for, for me personally um so once you get drums back what do you do uh once i get drums back it's straight back onto the guitars um uh to start the master version and one thing i've realized i've been doing recently is that i don't really listen back to my demos that much or at least not unless there's a particular line i really really want to keep mm, me too i saw I sort because I've been doing stuff for Apathy at the moment, and I'm realizing I'm not listening back to stuff. I'm just taking the general feel, the knowledge of what I did, and yeah. then doing something new of it. Because you know you've got different bits in there that will surprise you, and different bits that sort of jump out. But yeah, it's then trying to get those rough, scratchy demos recorded again properly with like nice sounding electric guitars. And are you, like, playing through an amp when you're doing that? Yep. Uh, playing through my AC30, trying to get, like, the good sounds out of it. And that's kind of... It can be... If you're having a bad day, that can be the most demoralising part if, like, you haven't got the right sound on the complex chords and you just think, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You've got these great drum tracks that have been sent back to me. I know the demo sounds okay, so why? <laughs> oh, man, tell me about it. That is... It's the most frustrating part for me is knowing I have a pretty good song that I like, having an amazing drummer playing on it, and then I start to play on it and it goes, why isn't this working? You know, I've had that so much. (laughs) Why doesn't mine look like that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but it's so frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, it got to the point on Lithograph where for the solo section, I did like an initial take. And I was just completely unhappy. So, like, a few days before, like, I ended up saying, right, this is finished, I just went right back to it and just recorded an entirely new uh, guitar solo take. I was just like, okay, this will have to do. (laughs) This is is better than what I had. (laughs) You know, it's fine. It's there. Definitely. And I think that kind of makes me think of one of the main things I've been sort of thinking about and trying to get good at recently, which is, how do you get a good performance from yourself, um, particularly if you're recording by yourself, which um, which I do and I know you do uh, most of the time? The big one for me is um, is vocals. So for me, when I get my you know my fresh drums back and I drop them in and give them a bit of a mix and make sure they sound great, and I'm excited. Um, quite often, what I'll do is I'll either pick up the bass guitar because I tend to record <clears throat> as a rule in in the order of drums, then bass, then acoustic guitar, electric guitar, keyboard, vocal. But what I've been doing recently is because of the excitement I feel when I get the drums back, I'll quickly put down a bass line, which I can always redo later, um, and then I'll try to get my acoustic guitar and just do a performance, acoustic guitar and vocal or piano and vocal, um, which I think is kind of like the lead um, track, let's say, because it carries the lead, the lead vocal and that sort of thing. But it's like, how do you get a good take it's like you have to be in the right mood. You have to have the right mm. amount of energy and time and you have to feel fairly uninhibited. So um, I tend to record when people aren't around because then you can kind of like do stuff which if other people heard you doing it, they might go, what the hell is he doing? You know, uh, or like, oh, you know, can you please be quiet or that sort of thing. So there's so many factors that go into it. And I think one of the ones that um, I'm just stream of consciousness now, but one of the ones that gets me, and I think I've said this to you before, Declan, is... Um, when I'm around other people, if I'm in front of you and I'm playing guitar and singing, I'm kind of like 
I I feel a bit weird saying, but I'm like showing off a little bit, and I think you do the same with me, or we do the same with our friends. I was literally about to say vice versa. Yeah. If if you're showing off a little, not showing off in that negative way, but in a positive way of like, hey, I'm with my friend and we're playing some music, and I want to sing well here. You know, you can sing so much better than when you're by yourself, which is so infuriating. Well, I mean, it's the thing you're at, you've actually got someone to perform to. I mean, I have no choice, and I have to sing in a house that I live in with other people. Mm. Uh, but you just sort of try and like zero that out as that were and you sort of just try to imagine the audience behind the microphone uh so mm. you're not like singing into it and just being small and like you know uh you give this quite quite a performance you have to sort of go okay the neighbors will hate me but i have to you know do this balls to the wall definitely and as many times as it takes to get it right Obviously, you've got to be considerate, and it's probably not a good idea to sing like the same song like for eight hours straight. But mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I mean because I'm in the same position as you, which is like I live with other people, and it's you know you can't be singing for ages. So I've started to limit myself to this like five take um, system um, for for loud stuff anyway. So like rather than kind of sitting there for three hours trying to like quietly get the perfect take on vocals you know i'll i'll go okay five takes balls to the wall i'm just gonna sing you know really sing and then so that's only like you know 20 minutes or something like that and then i'm done and then hopefully i get a good take and also the other good thing about that i find is that if i don't get what i think is the great take from those five there's tomorrow as well. So I'm not kind of like frustrating myself because you have to do that thing where you go, I want to get this right today, but you can't get it. And you just end up recording for three hours and just sweating and getting annoyed with yourself. Mm, that's basically most recording sessions for me. Yeah. That's, uh, I think one thing about like doing this isolated is that you are under less pressure to give like a full on, like this is one single take kind of performance. One thing when I was doing the weekly covers that we were doing during lockdown, uh, this will be, you can find all mine on my YouTube page, Declan Kitchen of Music, but it's a challenge between us and a few mates. Uh, what I got into a habit of, of was like doing a couple of like really strong, like full on takes. Mm. And then once you've done that, you just listen back, do a very quick edit. And if there's anything that you're unhappy with, you can just, because you're still in the space, you still got the recording set up. Just immediately go back in and fix certain lines. Oh, me too. I do exactly the same thing. Because I got into a space when I was doing Captive Audience where I'd be doing like five vocal tracks, poor example, uh, editing them together, but still not being happy with certain bits, sending them off to get feedback, mostly from you, mm. and then redoing the takes at certain points and you just got to trust your instincts and just like do that thing while you're in the mood while you're in the zone while you've got the recording set up uh that's my view on it anyway i'm completely with you um yeah i think you know once once i get the drums back you know for, particularly for um you know to bring it back to lost and out of love once i got the drums back um i think the next thing i think actually the next thing i did with lost and out of love once i got the drums back was I put down another really rough acoustic guitar and vocal demo. And then, because I was about to send it to other people, so I sent it to you first, I think, Declan, to play some bass on, um, which means I get to be surprised again, you know? And this track is kind of unusual because I got uh, a few different people to play on, actually. And then, um, you know, sent it off to Billy once I got your um, bass back. So there was kind of that process of, like, what do they call it, outsourcing? That sounds about right. Outsourcing other tracks. Um, and then once I got it back, I started to do this process, which I've been really enjoying recently, which is very akin to actually what you were saying, where I don't listen back to the demo. I just kind of, because at that point, you know the chords, don't you? You know the chords to your own song once you've spent realistically at least a couple of hours, three hours on it. So You should no, you're uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you should, you should. Not always. It's not always the case. Sometimes you go, what diminished chord was that? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> so, so at that stage, I've been doing this thing recently where instead of going, intellectually, I know this song should have a certain tone of guitar, I kind of surprise myself again by like whipping out the glockenspiel or plugging in a synthesizer and just seeing kind of what comes out. Because I think one of the cool things I've enjoyed trying is just kind of 
coming up with new ideas on top of an already quite solid foundation, because I had Robbie and you playing the rhythm section on this song, I was able to, um, as you can hear throughout the song, like, get the synthesizer out and just kind of, like, play some, like, uh, kind of Carpenter-inspired synthesizer lines and stuff. I think we kind of spoke about this at some other point, but in the very first demo stage, when you're putting, you know, your song onto onto tape or onto your digital audio workstation, there's a temptation to go, oh, I could put on my Gibson Les Paul and I could plug in my synthesizer and I could do all this stuff on the demo. But I think there's actually an argument to be made, I've found recently, to just put down something very simple so the structure's there and when you get your drums back, then you can really start to experiment. So you haven't sort of like blown your load at the demo stage because <laughs> you're trying to capture that like energy of like and we could put that onto it and we could do that and oh what if we did that which is the and, funniest um, stage right exactly yeah when you're sort of like in the overdub like madness and you're just like oh, okay so we could put this bit in here and we could like actually double the vocal there and then if we put like a vocal like this underneath and like etc 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 yeah which if you waste all that on the demo stage then what you get on the master if you try and carbon copy it is just like a lower energy version. Totally agree. Which is not great. This is kind of like uh, I'm I'm going to backtrack slightly here, but like this is kind of why on demos my bass tends to be quite simple. But my favorite, my absolute favorite part of bringing together any recording is actually recording the proper bass um, because suddenly you've got you uh, like start. Doing like dun 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 Oh, yeah. This is a proper track. Totally agree. Isn't that the best, though? I think at that stage also you've earned it. Like, because you, you've, um, uh, which, what's the word? Like, you kind of, um, you saved it for marriage, so to speak. I can't think of a better way to say it. But, like, you've written yourself a song you're proud of, and you know you like the chords, but you haven't sort of um, spent all your energy on trying to, like, layer everything up. And then you finally get your drums back, and your drums sound good, and you put down that bass line, and you go, yes, I've earned this, because the chords have a nice movement to them. And I get that same feeling with backing vocals. So I save my backing vocals till like everything else is sounding pretty up to scratch. And then I'll kind of like start to go, okay, the chorus, I know the chorus goes, um, you know, D, E minor, G or whatever it is. And I'll know how to do that with my backing vocals. And it's just the best payoff because you go, I could have done this at the demo stage, but I've saved it till the song actually sounds like fairly good. Mm. Um, oh, it's the best. The best. Well, one thing I find about bass as well is that it's a really useful tool for um, like clearing things up in a mix. Like, for example, if you have a section with fifty guitar overdubs and you've lost kind of where the main movement in the song is meant to be, it's fine. Just put it back in on the bass. That's so it, true. Or like, um, if this part is meant to be heavier and your guitar sounded a bit weak, just turn up the gain a little bit. It's right back in there. Like the bass is such a powerful tool, and I'm I, I'm always very happy when I get to record it. I I completely agree. I think again, it's all about um, kind of separation, and um, an argument I'm started to agree with more is less is more recently. So, yeah, like you say with the bass, I was I can't remember this song. I will put in a clip and give it credit during the edit if I can remember. But there's a song by this band called Boa Constrictor, who I've listened to a lot recently, and they got this sort of like doo wop section in this song. And there are like guitars kind of like all over the place, like you were saying, like in your example, where you've got like, you know, guitars flitting all over the place. But the bass and I listened to this and I went, oh, my God, that's so clever. The bass is just going dum, 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 sort of thing. I feel so sad. The contrast between what the bass is doing and being so simple and just going, I am a do-what bass, I'm not trying to show off or anything, and then having the rest of the guitars, you know, being psychedelic, you know, guitars, it provides this amazing contrast. And I think it must have been so, uh, what am I trying to say? It's so tempting to have every 
instrument show off, particularly if you play all the instruments yourself. So if you mm. if you get some drums back and you go, right, time to really rip it up on bass and like play all my favorite licks and fills that I play if I was, you know, Victor Wooten or something, like you're gonna kind of not leave room for guitars, if that makes sense. So I think you've really got to kind of leave gaps and spaces so that the arrangement What's... can sing. It's like it's like when you play in a band rehearsal room. It's like if everyone's playing at volume ten then no one's really getting heard and no one's ideas. You have to kind of like play with the interest of the band as the priority rather than the interest of the individual musician. Well, the fun of like playing on a fully produced track when you've got the drums back is that you get to lock into the drums. And mm. whilst my bass would have been simple on the demo, because when you just have uh, to try and sync to, like, once you've got a fully fledged performance with like loads of rolls and loads of momentum and loads of energy behind it, you can suddenly then just lock into it. And it's just like, yes, mm. yes. <laughs> it's like you got the motor running. I'm like, happy. The drums is like the motor of the song. Well, yeah. all that dynamic range and all the all the stops and ah, oh, it's just the best. I love it when there's like um, stabs in a song or unexpected fills. One of my favorite things to do, just on a little sort of um, tear here, is getting the drums back, realising that the drummer has put in a fill in the chorus, you know, and trying to match that fill with a guitar lick and a bass lick. So, you know, drums are going... And on the bass, you can run down the pentatonic scale or something. Something like that. That's always a good time. So, Yes, I concur. Like, just finding these weird little events that happen in tracks that you suddenly start to build entire arrangements around which is kind of fun definitely once you've done your vocals is that it then for your transition from acoustic demo to a fully fledged song or are you still like tinkering with it afterwards oh i'm a tinkerer i'm a huge tinkerer i knew you would say that i mean like i kind of i've started to think of it more recently um which is something I'm saying a lot this episode, apparently, um, as like kind of, you know, like if, a, if an artist is painting on canvas and they got their painting room and they have like, let's say, six different easels scattered around in their, in their studio, they'll be particularly invested and interested in one particular piece, but then their interest will shift to another canvas and then start painting on that one. So I've started to approach it more like that recently, sometimes just for the practical reason that I've recorded my drums, bass, guitar, keyboard, vocal, blah, 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 for a whole song, but the vocal, I know in my heart of hearts I could still do a better job on the vocal. So rather than kind of like beating myself up over that, I'll work on this other song for two weeks, and then two weeks later I'll come back to the initial song and go, okay, right, let's really try and give that vocal another go. Or, you know, something a bit more fun than that is let's come back after a month and plug in my micro Korg, you know, and just see what kind of like, uh, what a vocoder would sound like on it, for example, just to see, see what it would be like. And then usually, um, uh, to cap this off, usually like at the mastering stage before I release something properly onto, you know, Bandcamp and that sort of thing, I'm still adding stuff. I'm still going, Ooh, another harmony would be good in the chorus. So it's always until it's out, it's always in motion. So what about you? I, yes, but not to the extent that you do. I think I tend to use that breakaway from the material on a more macro level. Like, um, you know, if you're struggling with getting the vocal parts, just go out for an hour's walk, come back, and then you'll be, you'll have some fresh ears to listen to the song to. Uh, once I've got, like, something that I'm fairly satisfied is uh, main recording, it's then time to go back in and put in, like sound effects almost is how i think of them all right so like uh for example on lithograph there's one where like after the final chorus you hear like a guitar go which is just um playing on a really thin sound on my red special like dive bombing the tremolo all the echo in the world on it but it just sort of really helps cover the transition from one section to the next Mm. Or like um, like just going and putting in tiny little solo bits in verse two to sort of make that feel a bit different. Uh, where it's not lead playing as such, it's just like this is a space that could be filled, otherwise it might be a wee bit awkward. 
Right, right. So it's kind of it's kind of like a oh, what's a good analogy? I I don't know. It's it, it it's it's just like the final paying attention to the details after you've got like the bulk of it done. It's like your final run round just before like uh you say okay this is good enough to be mastered or like i think you know i think this is probably as good as i can get it i think i might have to take a leaf out of your book with that one that sounds like a great idea it reminds me of something that um the band weezer do apparently um before like you know at the final stage of, of tracking so they've got everything down all their core tracks and then the four of them apparently will go into a room around a microphone and just kind of have like a little ad lib session so they'll kind of put in like claps and you know shouts and various backing vocal harmonies but all in one go and then put that very low down on the mix just so it kind of like uh i don't know like sands over the gaps because mm. if you have a song which is very well arranged and very tightly arranged, where it's like the drums are doing this, the bass is doing this, the guitar's doing this, and then the vocal sits on top, it it's great. Don't get me wrong, that's my favorite type of recording, but it's it almost kind of, oh, what am I trying to say? You can fill the gaps with something, and I think um, there are really creative ways of filling the gaps of things. One thing I've been kind of playing with the idea of is... Like I've got this song I'm working on at the moment where the song opens with one acoustic guitar and one vocal and it's supposed to be intimate but I've got this kind of idea to have that play out in the left headphone and in the right headphone have something like um, recorded background television noise or something like that. Not to the extent where you go, why is there a television playing? But just so there's this little, very low in the mix, other element which I think, uh, I don't know... I want to say it increases prof- the professional nature of the recording, but it By almost putting just someone else's work on the top of it. <laughs> well, just yeah, or like a sound effect, you know, like like the sea or something, you know. Um, I just think it has. Um... It creates a more unique space for the song to sit in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because uh, yeah, and then it makes it sound more like a, I don't know, like a, a rec- like a recording in the sense that it's a collage of sounds rather than just a, reco- a recording of just performances. But that's mm. a whole other thing. That's just something I've been thinking about doing. That's fair. I will say that I don't always go back over and do that detail bit because oftentimes you don't need it. It's just if there are any bits, particularly on a longer song, I think Lithograph is currently the longest song I've recorded where you just think, okay, right, we need to break some of this up a little bit. We need to put some details in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I will say that um, that's not like, and I think you'd probably agree, that's not like a big chunk of the importance of a recording. I think the big the big players in a recording that makes a good song and a good recording are the song itself, the chords, the lyrics, the melody. And I think that's probably like 60% to me. And then the other is just like arrangement, instrumentation, tone. And then the final little, like, 1%, the dusting on the cake, so to speak, is, like, that extra sound effect layer and that sort of thing. Mm. But it's, it's just, it is just that last 1%. But if, you, if you've got room for something on there, then it, it does just help a little bit. It's like ear candy, like you say. Yes, yes, exactly, yeah. Like any creative process, you sort of have to embrace it wholeheartedly and just go, right, okay, I'm getting this done now, no matter what. Definitely. And then it gives you that sort of, like, um, immediate energy, which I think only doing stuff on a... or in the moment, let's say, but to sound less cheesy than that, with a limited amount of time, um, it gives you that energy where you go, right, okay, now it's time to do it, and you almost get excited for it. Even if it doesn't go well that day, you get more excited. Um, and I think being excited about about working on a song for me is always where my best performances come from. Yeah, like it's that sort of loop that comes from like, this is sounding pretty good, so I'll play a bit better. Oh, wait, this is sounding even better than that. And it's sort <laughs> of like a positive feedback cycle. Yes. There also exists the equivalent negative feedback cycle. It's like, oh, this was sounding really good, but I'm not... Oh, mm. And oh, it's just sounding worse and worse as I put more guitars on. Oh, like, that's it, the worst, isn't it? It's kind of odd, like, solo recording, because you've got to manage your own mood, and that's really difficult. Yes, um. yes, no one ever says that. That's so true. You do have to manage your own mood. I mean, uh, it's Captain Obvious stuff, but, like, even... 
if you're with someone else, you've got someone else there to say, like, hey, don't stress about this. We'll come back to it later. Let's move on with this for now. Mm. Or, like, let's take a break. Or let's have a cup of coffee. Yes. Like, And you've kind of got to do that for yourself, uh, which is uh, difficult because you've got the same viewpoint as yourself. That's probably the most redundant sentence I've ever said. Uh, but, like, it's very difficult to spot, like, no, you're getting too worked up about this. You need to, like, have a walk or you need to make yourself some food or you need to do this, that or the other. But we're very it's... stubborn when we're recording, aren't we? Because if yes. you if you want to get that solo done, for example... It's got to be done today. Even if you need a piss. You know, I find that sometimes. Even if I go, I need to go to the toilet right now or I need a, I need a cup of coffee. I just need, like, five minutes to sit down. There's another part of me which goes... No, I'm recording. I'm recording right now and I'm trying to get it right. And you always feel like if you step away from the recording environment for a minute... That you've lost. You'll lose any chance you had, which is so ironic because the opposite is true. If you're not recording well, you need to get away from the recording setting and then come yeah. back an hour or two later after you've you know had lunch or spoken to a friend or something. And Other then... t- otherwise you get stuck into this like vortex of, like, uh, well, it's bad because I'm bad. Which is yeah. making track bad, which and then you like remember like oh but I've had these drums and they were really good and like I sent all this off and I'm planning to do this and oh what's the point? Oh man, the the which, other yeah. Go at on, that sorry. point, you need to like tap out hard. You just need to go nope nope okay reading a book doing something else like uh... definitely <laughs> it's it's a broader example Have a but it's do like, something like Prince said and I know it's like a broader example but like he said if I can't write. You know, if I get writer's block, he said, what I do is I just stop making music for a month and go and live my life. It's, it's, that's an interesting philosophy. It's kind of, it's sort of what we do almost. It's like we write for two months, we live for two months. Yes, definitely. And I think you you got to do that. I mean, any, this, this it's funny because this year has been a very introspective year, but um, not so rich in experience, you know? So like, usually if, even if little experiences happen for me, they'll influence my songs and they'll influence the way I'm writing. Um, but there's been a, a limit on that this year because I think we've been stuck in, not just indoors, but in a routine. So it's definitely important to live and get out there and, and then write, you know, because then you'll have some material. Hmm. Like, it's... Oh, I've forgotten the point I was going to make. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. No, brain gone, brain dead. Oh, it was going to be so good too. Oh, it would have been so good. <laughs> so that's all for this episode of the Weekly Song Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, if you want to hear any of the tracks that you've uh, heard us discussing today, then you can find almost all of them at either rogerhevers.com, which is a link to his Bandcamp, or uh, just search for Declan Kitchener on Bandcamp for mine, which currently consists of the captive audience, and that's about it. Which is really good, and everyone should listen to it. Uh, but everyone should listen to Roger's stuff first, because that's even better. Um, if you want to send us in an email, if you have any thoughts about the show, if you have a question you'd like answered, um, if, if you're just lonely, uh, why not send in an email to weeklysongpodcast at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube, a Facebook, and an Instagram I just search Weekly Song Podcast on all of those and they should come up. Uh, yeah. Um, I think that's about it because I've disrupted the rhythm because normally I'd ask where you can be found. Uh, but where can <laughs> you be found apart from your band camp? Um, Instagram's a good place and Twitter is a good place. So at Roger Heathers. Awesome. How about you other than, um, other than band camp? Uh, I have a Facebook, Declan Kitchen of Music, which I have not updated in ages, but I will try to get something updated soon. Um, you, you can tell that I'm banging my thighs for emphasis. Because you mean it. Yeah, indeed. We should be back for a new season soon. Yes, yes, we will. Um, details to follow, let's say. We'll definitely be back um, rather soon, um, but we won't give a date yet because we want to keep you on your toes. Also, we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there, there are two reasons, one more important than the other. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, hopefully we should see you within the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Fingers crossed, touch wood. Um, yeah, that's about it for this week, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. It's been it's been a fun one. I've enjoyed this episode. Oh, I needed to have this long, winding uh, chat about everything and nothing. 
Alright, see you in the future, guys. Ta-ra! Ta-ra! Hey, uh, Roger again. Just to let you know, I'm just putting this bit on the end, to say that if you're listening to this at the time of release, the next Friday, October the 2nd of 2020, is what's been commonly referred to recently as Bandcamp Friday, which is where Bandcamp, the uh, uh, streaming and, uh, you know, kind of artist-friendly site, you know what Bandcamp is, they are waiving all their fees on Friday um, so that any albums or songs that are purchased on Bandcamp, 100% of the uh, profit goes to the artists themselves, which is great, you know, particularly in the age of Spotify and everything where everyone owns 0.0001 pennies per album. So definitely check out Bandcamp next Friday, October 2nd. Support Bandcamp in general. I mean, you probably guessed by listening to these shows, but Declan and I are both very pro-Bandcamp, very pro-music uh, and musicians being supported and uh, and music being encouraged. Uh, so check out Declan's EP, the Captive Audience EP. Um, I've got a bunch of stuff up there as well. Uh, the links uh, will be in the bio on SoundCloud, but uh, rogerheathers.com and declankitchen.bandcamp.com. Or just uh, check out some other artists, you know, Dr. Danny, Boa Constrictors, uh, Lemon Twigs, all these different people, or whoever, you know, just uh, support indie music. All right, I'll uh, speak to you soon. I love you. Goodbye. Uh, 12 semitones, so it's an octave above. And for some reason... That makes the warble of the flute, rather than being like, it makes it like, like a much faster. Uh, so. I want to save that sound recording now. You're just going. <laughs> just. But, you know, that really Can helps. we use that as a tukar? <laughs> sure. Why not? That's a one-off. That's great. Oh, dear. Oh, dear.